Welcome to Hello Universe, a podcast about spirituality in our everyday lives. We're your co-hosts, Kylie and Eva. Hey everyone, it's Eva here, back with another episode of Hello Universe. And I am so excited to introduce you to Federico Petrelli. Um, He's a friend of mine that I've had the chance of getting to know over the past year um, as part of our two-year training uh, for our meditation teacher certification. Um, For those of you who don't know, uh, I'm currently in this course, a two-year course that's run by Tara Brock and Jack Cornfield um, to just further my practice and and, uh, continue to gain competencies to help other people with this meditation process, which has just been such, uh, I mean, I think the core really, the one of the main tenets actually of my own spiritual practice that has helped me change everything. Um, And so I met Federico about, yeah, in this program and I just want to gush. I just want to gush. I've been wanting to have him on the show. I mean, I knew like day, like week two of like being able to meet with him. I was like, I'm going to want this guy on the show because he is just like thoughtful and asks the best questions and super down to earth and just has like, uh, I don't know, just says the best things <laughs> like you know when you meet someone and and they're interesting and they just, and they seem like a good person and they're really earnest and they're fun um yeah Federico's amazing and he has a really amazing story that he's going to be sharing with us on the show today um so at a young age Federico was diagnosed with a rare neurological disorder um, that changed everything for him. So he had to leave his job working for the UN and he had to embark on this, you know, arduous but wonderful journey of rebuilding, rewiring um, his nervous system so that he could speak, chew and walk again, which was something that doctors didn't think was going to be possible for him. Right. But through mindfulness and, you know, meditation and self-compassion and learning about like practicing neuroplasticity. And a lot of it was like taking, taking this on for himself and trying to figure it out um, in like, independently because which I think is actually like a really really beautiful thing because doctors were kind of giving him limited a limited scope of like that wasn't actually helping him so he had to take matters into his own hands figure some things out you know threw in um psilocybin and we talk a little bit about that on the show too and has come around full circle and now he's doing this work where he's helping other people also um you know rewire their nervous system that and that you know that's sort of like really interesting work that is all folded into I think also mindfulness um so I can't wait to just dive into that because the conversation is 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 uplifting it's feel good it's um yeah I don't know I think I'm kind of a I'm fan I'm fan I'm fangirling totally because I just think Federico's awesome and I just think this episode is really beautiful um I will also say yeah so after we were st- <laughs> after we recorded the episode Kylie Federico and I were just sort of shooting the shit and I was like damn that was really good I think that that would have easily been on my top one of my top 10 episodes had we not just finished our top 10 list but uh, definitely one of my favorites is what I'm saying but speaking of which I do want to throw in a quick plug for the fact that uh, Kylie and I did in a celebration of our 100 100th episode we did our top 10 list um, a couple weeks ago so if you are new to the podcast and you're not really sure where to start or you want to share this list with people and you're like, hey, this podcast is awesome. 
here's the best of the best or if um yeah maybe you aren't new to the podcast but you just want to kind of get right into our favorite our favorite episodes um you can check out that top 10 list on our website helluniversepod.com and also on our instagrams so so there's a plug for that let's see if there's anything else i want to say about federico in this conversation i will probably i should probably just stop rambling and let y'all get into it but before i do that one last thing a bit of quick business um very much in relation to the conversation that we had here I am running a short, I think it's going to be about six weeks, six to seven weeks, um, intro to mindfulness program, specifically for those of you who have loved ones who have struggled with alcoholism and addiction, meaning you have had to bear the, (laughs) the big responsibility the often challenging and frustrating and honestly scary task of having to um, care for or be the support person for someone in your family who struggled with alcoholism or addiction. So for a lot of us, that's our, that was our parents. Sometimes it's a partner and sometimes it's a good friend. Um, Either way, what I want to say is that it is so important for people in this uh, community to also get support. So I will just speak for myself. This is this is a domain that I'm very familiar with. Um, as you may know, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know, my mother, I grew up with my mother who was an alcoholic. She, she, you know, still is, though her situation has since much improved, but it's, you know, really shaped my life. And um, I think I have a soft spot for caretakers because I know what it's like to be a caretaker. And I feel like caretakers need care too, right? Like, not you know people like people Al-Anon folks the people the people who had had to be the children who had to be the adults in like the relationship right um mothers are caretakers like anyone healthcare worker psychologists therapists social workers like a pattern that i see so often is that caretakers don't often times get enough care um cuz they're so busy caring for others and i will say for me a lot for a while especially when I was a kid that that ended up building up a lot of resentment and I felt like I didn't get um a part of my like healing process was being able to grieve what I think I you know when I didn't get what I felt like I needed um so mindfulness is actually a pretty amazing entry point for dealing with a lot of the common um challenges and and patterns that I see with people in this demographic, like people like me, um, let's see, I can just like, there's, it's, it's textbook stuff, really. There's like codependency, feeling responsible, overly responsible for people or not knowing what's yours and what's not, what's other people, not yours. You know what I mean? Feeling like sometimes resentful or exasperated, or like you need to care for needing to like take care of people all the time or feeling like you need to take care of people even when you don't, and then you get tired. And so then you end up having weird boundary issues. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot there. There's, you know, the grief that I mentioned and dealing with anger, just your emotions in general, grief, anger, resentment, all of that stuff. Uh, maybe trust issues, um, just general PTSD. There's a lot of stuff that kind of goes, um, into it and and it and I think it's actually helpful to know that like we're super not alone in this that uh these things are common and mindfulness helps well 
I don't want to overgeneralize, but really in every way, when you are able to go in and explore the self, <laughs> explore how your mind is working, how your body is feeling, how to be with your emotions, um, compassion, all of these these tools really, it'll help you uncover or address some things that maybe have yet to be that you haven't had a chance to address yet because you don't necessarily this program is not for not necessarily just for people who are in the midst of you know taking care of someone who who's an addict right now you know oftentimes it's actually past stuff and it's just sort of shaped who we are and so it, there's just still stuff that's lingering around um and the best way to find clarity is to go in and how do you get in <laughs> meditation, the practice of sitting still with yourself and being present with what is. So if this is something that um, you think would be helpful for you, that would resonate with you, that you want to connect with other people and do this work, send me a message via Instagram. I think that's the best way. You can find me at I am Eva Liao. All right, folks, that's it. I hope everyone is having a beautiful week. It's spring-ish, I think, right? I'm in Taiwan, so it was spring a while ago, but if I'm tracking it correctly, according to other people's, <laughs> what I see on people's Instagram feeds, it's spring-ing all over the place, which is very exciting. And I just want to say, I think as spring comes out, I see a lot more photos of flowers and greenery, and I love it. So keep posting your spring um spring whatever spring everything all right have a great week y'all enjoy the episode hi federico welcome to the hell universe podcast hi eva hi kylie i'm so happy to be here with you guys yeah i am so excited for you to be here i've been really looking forward to this conversation for quite some time and i, I actually have to say uh, the minute I met you, not the minute, but very early on in our meditation program together, I was like, oh, I'm going to want this person on the podcast. <laughs> like I already knew because you and I are the most talkative people in the, in our cohort. Don't you think? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I don't have a podcast, but if I had one, I would have wanted to invite you as well. I always felt that we had, you know, so much to talk about and was kind of looking forward to this opportunity. So, uh, I'm happy that, that we're doing this. Yay. All right. So uh, our first question is, what's life teaching you right now? What's something that you feel like you're learning? So it's actually something that you and I talked about in our meditation teacher training. Um, and, uh, you know, it's encapsulated in, in the sentence um, that you shared. Um, what is in the way is the way. Um, you know, I felt like I needed... Um, time to to work on certain things and I felt like I wanted space uh, kind of in the last few weeks and then there's been some difficulties um, back home in Italy with um, with my mom and I ended up having to travel there and um, kind of having to face a lot of old traumas and um, and so on and uh, I initially was resisting it thinking you know this is going to get in the way of me kind of working on on the things that I think are a priority that are going to help me um, prepare the um, the practicum, the project that we're working on as part of our training, mm -hmm. um, kind of the intro to mindfulness course and so on. And it ended up being actually one of the 
most profound lessons in the power of mindfulness that um, mm. I could ever get. Because now that I'm aware of um, of the trauma response that um, that I have when I go back to Italy, um, I can make an effort to ground myself, come back, and step out of the trauma reaction, see that there's a bigger, broader reality, and uh, kind of try to live from that, try to choose a different um, way to respond to what's, um, to what's there. Um, and it's taught me so much. Um, boundaries um, is one of the things that, that I've learned. Um, and uh, the other is, uh, yes, to embrace whatever life throws at you. There's always an opportunity to grow. Um, and uh, this is kind of the uh, a recurring theme in my life. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, it's returning um, these, uh, these last few weeks as well. Yeah, honestly, I think I might have needed to hear that because I'm currently in Taiwan and I'm about to step out of quarantine to be with my family. And let me be fully honest, my parents don't listen to this podcast, so I can say this, but I feel like I'm going to enjoy this time in quarantine, maybe a little bit more than dealing with like some family stuff that's going to come up and some triggers that are going to come up. And so be, like being able to use that actually as an opportunity to like really embody and, and like have my mind kind of be open to what might actually be possible rather than me kind of worrying about like, Oh, it's going to be hard or not uncomfortable, mm. but there's, there's like a possibility. I don't know. That's the fun thing. It's like possibility is so open. I don't know what the possibility is. Anything could happen. And it's usually some kind of internal shift. Um, but I think I <laughs> needed that reminder. There's, this is funny because I'm recording this podcast from my brother's childhood bedroom. Like I like that we're all, there's some initial, some, some family home thing happening. But um, one of the things I heard in what you were sharing, Frederico, is like, um, like the softening of compassion. You know, you talked about the trauma response and understanding that you have, that, that that's going to show up for you. What I felt was you speaking to this, um, this softening that happens when we're compassionate with ourselves. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, if that's the medicine, we come back to again and again and again. And again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I just have to also add, I think what you're saying, which is so important. I mean, my ego loves being quoted, but the, but the idea of like, what's in the way is the way, I mean, how often do we have a problem in our life? And we're like, Oh, this is just getting in the way of my like goal or my job or, you know, our kids are just getting in the way of, of me being productive in this way or whatever the story might be. And the, the thing that I have often noticed is like, oh my God, like actually when I deal with that quote unquote problem, it's, is serving me in the thing, in my main goal anyway, you know, they're not separate. And so, yeah, that's something that I feel like, I mean, that's what makes, that's what spirituality is, right? going with the flow, like you said, responding to what life can, is throwing at you. You know, I was recently um, interviewed as part of a, um, of, of a series of talks done by an organization called Thank You Plant Medicine that does advocacy um, around psychedelics. And um, 
I was featured as one of uh, several stories of transformation that were made possible thanks to psychedelics. And one of the other people that were being interviewed was describing the you know, incredible trauma that she went through um, in her life and the addiction and you know, tremendous suffering. And she said, I don't wish that suffering upon anyone, but I wish the transformation that came from it upon everyone. Mm-hmm. And I feel that is the same way I feel about dystonia, about the, you know, the, the trouble that I went through with my own health. And, you know, it really was in the way um, of a life that was very well scripted um, and that, you know, I had worked really hard to, uh, uh, to kind of prepare for. Uh, and you know, I was working at the UN and, uh, you know, in, in my field and uh, everything was going according to plan. And uh, I was forced to, you know, look deeper and, uh, um, and really create a kind of transformation that brought a lot more coherence um, to my life than I would otherwise um, kind of have uh, chosen to have. Um, so this might kind of sound a little bit abstract, but I think you you get the gist sometimes. We love abstract here on Hell <laughs> Okay, <universe>. great. <laughs> it's our bread and butter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so oh. yeah, we're sometimes we're we're forced to 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 look deeper, choose differently, and it ends up if we choose to grow from it rather than resisting it, it ends up being, you know, the stuff that that makes us so much more mature and um and wise and ready for life, really. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, you obviously just referenced a bit of your story. Um, and I wonder if you could take a moment to explain like what dystonia is and and sort of um, walk us through a little bit of what your journey, you know, there is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with great pleasure. So dystonia really is a shortcut uh, that uh, I've used to describe a much more complex problem. Dystonia is really a symptom. It just means uneven muscle tone um, anywhere in the body. So if you just look this up on WebMD or what have you, you'll read that dystonia is a condition, a neurological condition uh, of unknown cause generally, um, and that there is no cure and that it can be managed with um, injections of neurotoxins that freeze the muscles that are spasmic. Now, it turns out that there's a much more um, profound and accurate way uh, to understand um, dystonia, and that is as maladaptive neuroplasticity, meaning that the brain learns a dysfunctional pattern because of faulty inputs. So if you take my example, when I was a child, you know, I was born with a little bit of facial asymmetry and um, some anatomical challenges, you know, at the level of my occlusion, the way my teeth close. And some dentists tried to, you know, fix this. They ended up actually opening up my bite on the left side. And so they never managed to close it back down. And so I grew up with this open bite and my brain never got the messages that other people get 
saying, here's the left, here's the right, here's the left, here's the right. And that happens 24-7. And it's not something that um, someone who doesn't have a neurological disorder has to think, have, has to think about. Mm-hmm. But it got to a point where um, my, my brain basically forgot the left side and started overusing the right side and spasming really hard um, on that right side, causing this um, condition called trigeminal neuralgia, this uh, incredibly sharp pain in the face. Mm-hmm. Uh, due to compression of, of one of the cranial nerves. And so wow. the way it kind of exploded for me was that um, I was uh, I, I went to sleep one night um, and uh, put my alarm clock, uh, slept through the night. And when the alarm clock rang, I couldn't turn and reach the phone. I couldn't roll over. I couldn't move. I was in so much pain that... Um, uh, that simple task was impossible. It took me hours to reach the phone and to call for help. Unfortunately, somebody has had keys to my apartment and so on. But um, really, that was the beginning of a deterioration where, um, and this was 10 years ago, where I was able to do fewer and fewer things. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I managed initially to kind of mm, diminish the pain with with yoga with uh, all kinds of uh, you know gentle techniques but um, it ended up taking away the ability for me to to walk for more than a few meters to chew most foods um, I, I survived on smoothies and blended soups for for years um, and you know, I wasn't able to speak for more than a few minutes at a time. And really, wow. I was spending months and months in bed um, on some sort of forced retreat, if you will, just kind of contemplating, uh, you know, my my thoughts or watching my own show, as, uh, as uh, one of our mm. teachers said. Um, and the shift happened when... As you said, Kylie, I was able to soften and bring compassion to what was happening, kind of accepting that this was happening to me, mm-hmm. that I had to stop resisting and uh, can, can I had to start in, listening. In, interject yeah. there, though, because yeah, yeah, that sounds really scary. So essentially, you have full yeah. mobility up until around, can I ask what age? Yeah, it was, uh, say, around 24 Um I, okay. I already had the beginning, you know, the, the early symptoms, but I, I had a full life until mm-hmm. I was 24. Yeah. 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 So that's like, you know, what you're used to for 24 years. And then all of a sudden, I mean, like you said, it was, it was over time, but eventually at some point, it really things that, you know, we all take for granted, walking, chewing, talk, talking. I mean, I yeah. can't even imagine not talking <laughs> like, yeah. um, that was all. Yeah really limited. I mean, and take it. Yes. I can't even imagine, um, what that must've felt like, I guess. How did you, I, I guess for some people, I think that could be, I think you have a choice at that point, I guess, but it can either really break you or you have to just, as again, like, as you said, let it shape you, I suppose. Yeah, you, can, you have to choose to grow from it. Um, and, uh, you know, 
the people that um, that I help, I, I now um, have a website called Hope for Dystonia where I help people kind of go through what I was able to do, kind of rewire their nervous systems so that they can get their lives, their lives back. Um, the ones that choose to really take matters in their own hands and to, you know, um, really grow from this are the ones that are able to, to create uh, a shift. Those who, you know, are stuck in some sort of victim mentality where, um, you know, it's like somebody did this to me. Um, why is this happening to me? Um, you know, why am I not receiving the support that I want as well? That when you expect somebody else to, to do things to you, um, it's very hard to, um, to recover. Um, and that goes not just for Dystonia, but for, for a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can I actually ask a question about that? Because yeah. I think this is so beautiful and also I think really complicated in some ways. The, you know, I think so often when we've had, when we go through difficult experiences or even honestly just a shitty day, right? Cause it's so relative. We can, um, we can be, we can, we cannot recognize that we're in victim mentality, right? And, and I think one of the ways that victim mentality can show up for me is this like real resistance to like, like, like almost, it's almost like I convince myself that I'm trying to power through something, but what I'm actually doing is staying like hooked in and attached to it. And so mm -hmm. in that way, it's sneaky and it sticks around for longer. And, you know, because this is something you're so intimately familiar with, I think maybe if you wouldn't mind speaking to like what it looks like to disentangle yourself from that kind of victim mentality when something legitimately shitty is happening, right? And how you can be compassionate and also hold yourself to like owning your existence without kind of falling into despair or that like, kind of attempt to overpower that's a little false yeah that's that's such a good question uh i think one of the questions that are the most powerful there is what story am i building around this what identity am i building around the illness around whatever difficulty i'm going through is this serving me in any way am i using this in any way and so we might discover, for example, that when we were kids, our parents maybe paid attention to us when we were sick and then, you know, they weren't around otherwise. Um, and, you know, that was our way to to kind of receive love. And so we end up using the illness to, to receive that love and attention. And uh, sometimes... And that was really the case for me. We feel insecure, say, about the fact that we're not able to work um, or, um, you know, that we're not able to, to show up for others the way we used to. And we, we end up creating um, an identity around the illness that is really meant to beg for some sort of approval from mm -hmm. from others um, around you know the thing that we're insecure about and so the way to disentangle ourselves is to 
really accept that uh, nobody's uh, judging us most likely, that we can stop defending ourselves, that we can stop um, kind of clinging to the story and that we can really look deeply at um, what is happening within and trying to be with it with the, with that softer, more compassionate heart. And that's kind of where the transformation, um, where the transformation starts. But obviously this is very hard to do when, when you're in the eye of the storm, right? When you're suffering physically and you, you feel that there is, um, you know, judgment or, um, demands placed on you. Um, and, you know, sometimes there is some of that, but mostly, you know, it's, it's, uh, our inner critic that is, uh, that is being harsh on us. And, um, uh, and yeah, so it's, um, it's something that maybe it's not available immediately, but, uh, it's, it is a process that, um, uh, really unlocks, um, unlocks healing, letting go of the story. Yeah. I mean, I'd say it's okay for a while to be in victim conscious. Like when something really shitty happens, like maybe that's part of the process. Like if you're angry at the world, you're mad at God, you're resentful. I think there's, it's appropriate to have Mm. a while of like, fuck you. That's okay. I think, but it's just about a hundred percent getting out of that. I think we have to actually feel that maybe for a while, maybe not everyone, maybe those who are truly enlightened never get to the fuck you. But I think for many of us, maybe the the process is like, let's go through the fuck you so that we can. And so we understand that that just feels terrible and that's not helping us. So then we can get out of it. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and so, you know, the way I look at it is there's a top down and a bottom up um, kind of process Mm. that needs to happen for for this kind of healing. So, you know, our nervous system stores trauma, um, you know, in, in, in it. And if we want to get past the trauma of, of illness, of whatever bad thing happened to us, of an accident of, you know, life that doesn't go according to plan, that traumatic energy needs to be released. And so, you know, you absolutely have to let it out and punch um, you know, your punching ball or your um, your pillows or what have you. Um, and that is one thing. And then there's the the top down, which is, you know, from my wisest self, from my prefrontal cortex, um, can I meet, you know, this this anger and see the the pain that is underneath it and the vulnerability that says, mm. I feel awful because I I don't know what the future holds. And I need to face this uncertainty rather than, you know, lash out at, um, at others and expect others to, um, to kind of find solutions for me. And so once that energy has been released sufficiently, we can, um, we can you know, do that, that second part. But if we don't accept the idea that if we don't understand the difference between blame and responsibility, we remain stuck in that victim mentality. Um, and we remain stuck in, in that phase where we're leaning into our anger, where we're, um, you know, trying to be legitimized in, in the fact that, that we're angry and sad and depressed and, uh, and we're stuck. Um, th- yeah. Does that resonate? 
Yeah. 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 So gosh, where do we even begin? So I guess I kind of, I want to talk about psychedelics and the nervous system. And I, I feel like maybe you continuing to tell us about your journey will encapsulate all of that. So maybe you can continue and we'll just continue to interrupt. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we, we ended the last um, kind of exchange at a bit of a, of a down note, but uh, there is, there is a, um, you know, an upward slope. Um, And so again, when when we stop resisting, we can, uh, we can start transforming uh, and choose to grow from, um, from our challenges. And so, you know, the way that happened for me was that um, I started learning about my body, about my nervous system, about what was um, the process that was happening for me um, by really choosing to to observe and and not freak out every time I had spasms or pain or you know involuntary movements. Um, I would I would just stop and and observe and. I ended up being, you know, extremely lucky um, in that I was able to to travel to Korea uh, to see one of the leading kind of practitioners that uh, that helped with dystonia. Traveled to, you know, Arizona and uh, um, Toronto and various various places where I met with people that are kind of at the uh, cutting edge of uh, understanding this process of maladaptive neuroplasticity. And how the nervous system kind of learns a dysfunctional pattern, and um, how the anatomy of our occlusion um, and our upper cervical vertebrae, how all of that gives the messages to the nervous system that end up creating the the dysfunction. And so I ended up learning a lot from them, but they weren't taking me to the finishing line. And so I researched a lot and I hypothesized um, that since psychedelic mushrooms um, were shown to be able to promote neuroplasticity and I knew that dystonia was a form of maladaptive neuroplasticity, I hypothesized that, okay, if I provide functional inputs to my nervous system and combine that with psychedelic mushrooms, I should be able to teach my brain new functional patterns. Wow, that's a pretty, I mean, I'm already there. I just love this initiative and this like ballsiness and this like, I mean, (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And I also love like going back to what we were just saying about like, you know, feeling powerless like because victim stories is very much rooted in our powerlessness that like you know surrounded by all these 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 academics and these doctors and these leading experts in the whole world the gorgeousness of being like I got a fucking theory (laughs) right and like and I I have I have sovereignty and I have I have my own inherent wisdom and I'm I just I just think that's really beautiful and um and I, I just want to witness how incredible that is to do it within an institution that, you know, intentionally or not is built on like, we're the professionals and, you know, and, and we know, and you're, yeah. you know, that's, that's really incredible. Yeah. You know, something interesting about 
dystonia and about all really functional neurological disorders is that to Western medicine and kind of the, the established protocols of Western medicine, the ones that would, apply, would be applied to you if you went to a neurologist, all of this is like a black box. We just know that there's, you know, dysfunction that comes out, but they don't even try to look in there. And so the leading experts in actually trying to rewire the brain are, you know, a doctor of Korean medicine who, you know, measures the height on your teeth uh, to create the appropriate balance in your TMJs, um, a coach in, um, you know, who, who uh, developed techniques to stimulate your cranial nerves and, uh, and get you to connect to them, um, you know, creatively with vinegar and vibration and all kinds mm. of things like that. Um, and, you know, a, someone else who would, uh, an, a, a patient um, actually who was affected um, by dystonia, who was able to rewire his brain um, and, uh, and now teaches uh, others how to, uh, how, how to recover. So it's really the things that work for dystonia and for neurophysiological disorders are in a completely different domain um, compared to Western medicine. And it's fascinating because Western medicine, you know, for all its incredible merits, it takes that agency away from you. It does not envision the possibility that you being in your own body can connect to your nervous system differently and inhabit your body differently and use your body differently. Uh, even when, you know, there's talk of physical therapy and so on, it's just, it's just not it. Mm -hmm. okay. And so, so, so wait, yeah. this is like, I, 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 I love this. There's something really beautiful about this. Well, actually there's something really frustrating. Let's start there, which is like, yeah. Oh, the medical system. It's like, yeah, God damn it. Seriously. I just, it, it's one of the things that infuriates me the most like as having two parents who are like not in great health. It's, it's, I can't even go there. It's just the worst. It's the absolute fucking worst. And then, um, but I think what's interesting to me about this is like, so there's this something really empowering and beautiful about, <sighs> discovering for yourself and being able to trust yourself and have this autonomy where my mind goes, because I often go into devil's advocate mode is like, but there's a slippery slope here too, because this is like what the vaccine is all about and where people are like, yeah. you can't trust doctors and you have to like, and, and, um, you know, like I, and, or, or like, I don't know. I think about Steve jobs all the time when he had cancer and he like wouldn't get treatment and he just drank a bunch of carrot juice. Like I read his biography because he was really on that holistic tip and I've yeah. seen that too, I guess is what I'm saying. So it's like a, well, I do see, think what you're pointing out though, is that you tried all the Western stuff. So you were like, you know, open to being supported through Western medicine. It wasn't until it didn't work that then you had to like turn to other measures. Um, but I just think you know, it's, it's, a, it's confusing, I guess. It's, and it's complicated. Yeah. And, you know, I think a w one way to think about this is kind of, the way you would go about healing your trauma and your wounds with meditation and psychedelics and, uh, you know, going within um, kind of 
on your own or with the support of a teacher or, uh, you know, a guide or what have you, but kind of doing the work for yourself versus going and getting uh, medication uh, from a psychiatrist. There's a time and place for that. There's, you know, that can be wonderful support, but it's just a different, um, yeah. a different way of looking at the problem and a different solution that we're looking for. And, so, and also, yeah. sorry, just to jump in there, yeah. like in my own journey, it was combining, like it was my postpartum experience involved, like some dredging up some pretty ancient trauma. And it was medication that took the edge off enough that it yeah. was safe for me to mm-hmm. do the metaphysical energy yes. work, right? Like, like I was in too heightened a state to actually even do some of the more holistic approach. And it was the combination that got me to this really beautiful place. Um, and, and so that I think is also really, you know, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be either or, even though maybe different, different people might position it as an either, or we actually get access to something maybe bigger than that. For sure. And, and what you're describing is maintaining your sense of agency and, you know, saying, okay, these are the tools that are available to me, including medication. And I'm going to, you know, take advantage of this so that I can, you know, do the work that, um, that I know needs to be done um, versus being in, in, in a mentality where, you know, you try to forget about that ancient trauma um, and they're just trying to, you know, as you were saying, power through whatever difficulty there is and, you know, maintain tunnel vision um, and, uh, and manage the symptoms of like, well, exactly. this is my limited experience and I'm just going to try to keep treading water as opposed to believing what if I could fucking swim? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> where, where, where did we leave off? I don't even remember. So, Next stop in the journey. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, I love, by the way, uh, you know, this opportunity to, to share um, my journey because so many people are affected by these functional, functional, functional neurological disorders, excuse me, um, and don't really have any hope um, and really don't know that this is a possibility that they can own their own body and own their nervous systems and, um, and create change. So, yeah, the next stop in the journey really is that um, I started developing a method. So I started, you know, using some of the techniques that I had learned to map out uh, my nervous system and seeing what is hypertonic, what is getting too much electricity, what is being overused, and what is hypotonic, what is getting too little electricity, what is being avoided. And can I stimulate gently what is hypotonic? what is being forgotten and underused so that I even out the distribution of that electricity. And can I get my brain to learn a functional pattern that includes both sides of my body symmetrically? Mm -hmm. And obviously uh, you start by thinking about the physical stuff. So can I, you know, smell essential oils to the same degree with my left and right nostril? 
mm-hmm. you know, can I taste vinegar uh, to the same degree on my tongue, left and right? Uh, but it gets much more profound and complicated than that because obviously the quote-unquote psychological traumas are layered on top of the physical trauma, right? So in my case, I often didn't feel safe, you know, speaking up for myself uh, growing up or, you know, expressing my needs and so on. And so this open bite on the left, um, I ended up stabilizing it by biting my tongue on the left and kind of allowing that side of the tongue to really just become a piece of meat. And, um, and, you know, with that came a series of compensations whereby I was always kind of slouching in, in this kind of defensive posture. And so as I undid all of that, all of the developmental trauma and all of that all came up and I had to begin rewiring that stuff as well. And so kind of in a similar way, finding what is missing, what are the messages that I didn't get growing up? um, And what are the things that I, you know, that I am believing right now that are, that are limiting me? And can I provide what's missing and try to include uh, that stuff in a new pattern, in a new way of being in my body, in a new way of being me um, that is, that is more complete, that is more whole. And, and so that process is really what allow me, allowed me to, to get my life back um, and find a sense of purpose that, that really gives me so, so much joy, um, you know, in being able to, to help other people um, go about this journey. Yeah. Okay. Wait, so many questions. Okay. Wait, so <laughs> I love it. So I mean, I think this is what you're saying, but I I think I intentionally want to maybe acknowledge this. What you're essentially saying is that, I mean, I guess we already know this, but I think it's just so cool that, is it safe to say that once you dealt with the trauma, the psychological shit, that there was a direct positive impact on then your physical, physical, physicality? A hundred percent. You know, um, this is one of those things that, you know, if you say it to a neurologist or what have you. Um, they would laugh you out of the office. And, you know, I've been laughed out of the office many times when I still didn't know what was uh, going on. You know, doctors would literally uh, take my hand and kind of laugh and and walk me out. Uh, But uh, one of the things that um, sounds absurd, but are so, so true, is that I had an overused right side of the body, which... uh, you know, at, at the level of the cortex connects to the left brain, right? So the, the rational, analytical part of the brain that wants to control and figure things out and, and kind of live in that um, control-oriented mode, right? Um, and that rational kind of mode. And the first time I did mushrooms, uh, after stimulating my hypotonic forgotten left side, of my uh, of my body, it's it's as if the right side of my brain that had been trying to kind of come online and uh, and you know be included in in the person I was, all of a sudden it it could shine, mm-hmm. and I could 
have a direct experience of the world without the need to understand or or control or subjugate or um, intellectualize yeah intellectualize exactly and that was a transformational experience and that ability to be with things um, in that different way it manifested literally in a way to kind of use my eyes differently, uh, to to smell things differently, to all of that, and and so yeah, when we when we say that body and mind and and spirit are are not separate, that is the understatement of the century. They are one, and really, if you look for the separation, you're never going to find it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the way to healing is it has to include all of these aspects uh, kind of all at once. Yeah. Mm, there's, I mean, everything you're saying is so beautiful. And and uh, I think I'm receiving a lot of medicine I also need. And, you know, I'm just thinking about how, like, we know that stress makes it more likely. Like if you have a heart condition and you're stressed, we're worried you're going to have a heart attack, right? There's ways in which we very consciously acknowledge like, oh, you got, oh, you were, you were overworking yourself for two weeks and you got a cold. Like we, that's totally normal. We totally accept that. And yet somehow we think the trauma doesn't affect the, like our physical health. Like it doesn't make any fucking sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if, if two weeks of overworking can give you a cold, of course. And we know trauma lives in our nervous system and our body. Like it's illogical to assume that there's not some psychological component. And going back to the theme, I think we were talking about in the beginning is like, I think some of the reasons why that gets dismissed is because it can get used or look like victim blaming. Right. Which is like, Mm -hmm. Oh, like you're just sick because, you know, because of your depression or whatever. And so you're so, so shaking it off. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but of course that's not what's actually happening or what works or what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're you're totally right. And that's where you know that piece about safety um comes in. Can I feel safe and supported enough to look at these patterns that are mm-hmm. making me sick without feeling, you know, the crushing weight of of judgment or what have you? And then understand, make that switch from blame to responsibility and empowerment. So it's not my fault, but now that I know this, I can make changes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know if you guys have heard of um, Gabor Mate. Um, he's mm-hmm. um, this Canadian doctor that is really a pioneer in, um, you know, trauma treatment and uh he uses psychedelics. Uh, he got in trouble for it, but he's he's the leader, you know, in the field now. And he wrote a book um, called "When the Body Says No." Um, and I haven't read all of it yet, but uh, the little bit that I read really resonates so so much. Um, and it's full of stories of people whose bodies ended up saying no for them, ended up creating boundaries that they weren't able they they didn't feel safe creating for themselves. And so I see it in my own life so many times uh, when I'm, I kind of 
put myself in a situation where I know I'm not managing my boundaries well, I get sick. And, and then what happens is that, oh, well, I have to stay in bed because, you know, I, I can't function. Um, and that's my body saying no instead of me. So is it my fault? No, it's the way my, my psychoneuroimmunology uh, tries to protect me. Um, but now that I know that this is happening, I can try to grow from this and create better boundaries and not put myself in situations where, you know, I'm putting other people's needs in front of my own and kind of find myself cornered and powerless. And then the only way that I can, you know, avoid suffering is, is, is getting sick. Mm -hmm. So. Oh, that's so. Yeah. The yeah. only way I can avoid suffering is getting sick. Like that's yeah. how it happens. Like that's our protective mm. response. And I think, I mean, I can relate to this too, because I've talked on the podcast before I have like chronic fatigue and that's actually gotten better recently because of some psychological work that I've done, but it's like, that's really like my body saying no, because of some partially still unconscious, I'm sure thing that has been, hasn't been resolved. So it's like, I, I feel I, this really resonates with me. Like I understand this firsthand. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I'm also um, thinking, oh, uh, I'm also just very briefly thinking about like what I'm hearing you say too is like this deep compassion for the body, right? So the body gets sick and recognize like, oh, you're not dumb and broken, right? Which is, I think often our go-to story, but like you are actively trying to protect me in ways that my mind maybe is not, capable of or or have this is making the choices around and so wow thank you body mm -hmm, and yeah. also can we let's all get together and make a different choice <laughs> yeah a hundred percent and and you know it it goes back to you know the left brain right brain kind of way of relating to the body uh, because it turns out that the left brain sees the body as something you have whereas the right brain sees it as the body you are and it turns out whoa that, hold on sorry <laughs> that just like blew yeah. both kylie and i's mind yeah <laughs> can you just say that again so we can sit in that <laughs> yeah so apparently the left brain sees the body as you know the body you have i sit here up you know up here in my head and i have this this thing that i manage and then the the right brain sees the body as the body that you are. And turns out that in German, um, there are two different words for the body that you have and the body that you are. Mm -hmm. uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's Körper and Leben. And um, so, you know, to your point, um, Kylie, if we try to repress the body that we have because we have a story about what we're supposed to be doing and you know we want to power through we forget that the body that we are is really telling us about what is happening uh within us emotionally um you know spiritually at, at every level and so you know the gift of mindfulness is that we can go back to to the body that we are um, and uh, and we can start tapping into that wisdom um, and and understanding really at a at a 
direct and profound level what is true for us beyond all the stories that you know we might be constructing with our left brain to kind of rationalize and control and uh, you know make ourselves look good or what have you right i am i mean like you're I, i'm like tearing up and like you've literally just Same. Made right i'm having a very <laughs> yeah. profound experience oh, i'm over so here. happy to connect with you guys this makes me this fills me with joy yeah. When you said that like mindfulness is, oh, I don't even know. I can't, I'm going to botch it, but something along the lines of mindfulness is the opportunity to directly experience the body that you are. I felt that in my bones because I think that's exactly like you had, you gave me words for something that I did. That, that's it. That's what the practice is. Like you just are, you're just completely with yourself and in yourself and of yourself. And it's such a simple yet profound experience that I think so many of us are deprived of, but, and that makes me sad because it is, it's it like, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's it, beautiful. Yeah. As you were saying that, I mean, I really like, I closed my eyes. I was, and like felt teared up. That was really profound. And I felt, I, I don't know how to describe it. I felt my body greeting me as a friend, that's maybe so for beautiful. the first time that I've witnessed that, like my body being like, hi, pal. Yeah. which is huge because how many of us go around hating our bodies like whether it's i mean we could just there's you know weight aging and illness is a part of life right like it's it's one of the ultimate truths and death and death right so yeah and and even and even like uh, the, the timing of this is so exquisite and i'm so grateful for because i have been like I have been moving through a lot of body story in this actual like week in particular, but one of the things I've recognized is this real resentment to the body because, because I have these like kind of beautiful mystical experiences, right? Like I go into meditation or kind of a trance experience and I'm like somewhere else, big air quotes, Mm -hmm. right? And even though it's a very felt experience, I have been reading that as like, Oh, and that, like then I come back to the body and mm-hmm. I am frustrated by its limits and by its limitations and by its material needs and mm-hmm. um and and uh as if if I could escape the body I could actually be I could experience infiniteness as opposed to like the portal to the infinite is so fucking clearly here, which is also something that I didn't voice it at the time, but I received in the very beginning when you guys were talking about the way that what is in the way is the way. And I instantly was like, yeah, the body is the portal to the infinite. So thank you again for just bringing me back to this place. Yes. I love what you just said. Um, And, you know, the body is the portal to the infinite. Um, I have another saying that I think is mine, but maybe I read it somewhere. (laughs) It's one of of the the things I live by, which is the mundane is the gateway to the essential. And so, (laughs) so, you know, there's something kind of Zen or like, you know, Taoist about it and, uh, I know you're in Taiwan, Eva, um, which, you know, I think embodies a lot of this uh, mentality in, in a lot of ways. But um, the, the daily stuff, the, the small stuff, the, you know, the 
cleaning your apartment. Uh, or even meditation. Let's you know, take that as like the most basic. It's literally yeah. focused on breathing. Like it is yeah. the most simple and also yeah. can be a portal to the most profound. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. it, it really starts from there. This is this is kind of what we have in order to to experience um the infinite mm -hmm. and you know I, I i know you guys used to ask the question um at the beginning of of an episode of what is spirituality and to me it's exactly kind of doing that kind of bridging that you were describing kylie of you know there's that ultimate reality there's that infinite there's that you know that that reality that isn't limited by by categories and so on where we're interconnected where compassion is infinite and um and accessible and how do you bridge that with daily life how do you live from that and i think you know the the, the practice of spirituality to me is really again going back to the mundane to the small stuff to the breathing to the what have you and and finding that that connection mm -hmm. um and and making choices that that reflect that um that connection yeah or, yeah okay so i i'm like i feel like we could go on forever so i want to make i, I want to make sure that we ask the, the ones that the questions that i selfishly really want to get to before Are we, we get into the mushrooms now <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. yes i love it exactly yes <laughs> Like, I, can you just tell us about that? I, I guess my questions that come to mind are like, was this self-facilitated? Like how, uh, yeah. how often, like, and yeah, I, I, don't, I don't even really know what my questions are. Kylie, do you have specific questions about it? I'm, I'm just curious to hear your, what your journey was yeah. and has been and how, how, how the mushroomies have uh, <laughs> created a new experience. <laughs> yeah. So. First of all, disclaimer, don't do anything that is illegal where you live. Um, mm -hmm. The laws are changing very fast, but, you know, check before you do anything like this and uh, find yourself a knowledgeable medical professional and see if um, if this is right for you, if you're interested. Uh, so nothing that we're saying, you know, is an encouragement to, um, to mm -hmm. do anything imprudent. But that being said, um, <laughs> my experience was self-facilitated. Um, and it included both microdoses and macro doses. So anywhere from like 0 0.1 grams mm -hmm. of mushrooms to four grams. Um, that's kind of the most that, um, that four I ever grams did. is a lot, isn't it? That's a lot. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's a lot. Um, and so I, I really wanted to experience kind of a spectrum of different, um, you know, possibilities and, you know, there are different ways to work with this. One is going about that work I was describing of finding out what's missing in, in your patterns, both, you know, quote unquote, psychological patterns and physical patterns, trying to include that and practice a, a new pattern that, that makes use of this. And then you can microdose, you know, a few times a week and, um, and uh, help your brain create the change that you're looking for there is can i ask a question yeah like 
would in your practice, would you like kind of set an intention? Like, okay, you observe, you know, you observe a pattern, you recognize like, oh, you know, I didn't feel comfortable speaking up and I can yeah. see the way that's showing up here. Now I'm going to, you know, microdose or whatnot. And, uh, and, I'm, and my intention is to move through that. Um, or would it be less um, overt than that? Yeah. It yeah. sounds like you had it, like it, kind of an intentional plan. And I guess I'm kind of like, how did you yeah. like come up with that? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, some of it is, um, you know, the wisdom that's been passed down for generations that, you know, nowadays is summarized in ideas about set, setting, um, mm. sitter for some people. So, you know, the mindset that you come, uh, that you bring to the experience, uh, the setting that's around you, um, and so on. Um, there, there's lots of resources online that kind of describe that kind of standard um, wisdom, but I find that one really useful way of looking at this is, you know, what I was describing earlier, seeing really what is missing. Can I give it to myself? And really to the brain, there isn't a big difference between, you know, the actual experience and, um, you know, something that, that you conjure up and, uh, and kind of give yourself, you know, to your inner child, for example. So, you know, um, I grew up in, in a home where sometimes um, there was a lot of anger or a lot of, uh, you know, big emotions around uh, things that I would uh, say or share or, um, you know, needs that I would express. And it's evolved uh, in my adult life as a fear of uh, putting myself out there in, in some ways. And uh, so sometimes I, I talk to my inner child using figures that I know can provide the kind of message that I didn't get growing up. And so it could be a spiritual figure. It could be, you know, uh, the universe. It could be, um, you know, your dog. It could be whoever you want. Um, I, uh, I think I shared this in, in one of our meetings, Eva, um, in, in our um, training course, but um, there's this character of, um, of a father in a movie called uh, Call Me By Your Name oh, that, mm-hmm. um, you know, shares a beautiful monologue with, uh, with his child. Um, and really embodies that kind of supportive father that says, you know, I'm, I'm there for you no matter what. And so to me, that's a really effective um, kind, of, um, kind of figure. And so you can kind of build the, the scenario, the, the, mm, you can really kind of create the, mm-hmm. the, the yeah. way to give yourself what you're missing that you want. And one additional thing that I'll share is there's another framework that is really helpful for this, which is RAIN, uh, recognizing, allowing, investigating, and nurturing. Um, And so really that nurturing part is where everything I was Mm. describing comes in. So how can I give myself the love and compassion that that I didn't get? And then there's another step um, after the RAIN, which is kind of a bit different from what, um, say, Tara Brock talks about. To me, if you're trying to rewire something, then the next step is like, okay, now that I received this message, what would my life look like if I actually integrated this Mm -hmm. into 
the way I behave into the way um, I move in the world or I inhabit my body. Does that resonate? Yes. Okay. Yes. And also <laughs> so many questions. So I'm just going to dive right in because I'm just like so eager. Yes. I guess I'm curious, what's the difference between doing this on psychedelics and not? I mean, like this is, I think, something yeah. that we can all practice even without psychedelics, but I guess I'm wondering yes. if if yeah, the psychedelics played a major role that was different from normal. Well, the psychedelics, um, one way to think about what they do, okay, there's there's neuroplasticity, but um, one way in which this neuroplasticity manifests is um, the ski mountain metaphor, which you might have encountered uh, before, but for those who haven't, imagine that the brain is like a snow-covered mountain, and your thoughts, your habits, your behaviors, uh, your movements, everything about you is represented by skiers that go down the slopes. And so the more a skier goes down a certain, um, you know, um, Ski path. certain slope, yeah, mm -hmm. a certain path, the, the deeper the grooves become. And so the next skier has a hard time escaping those very deep grooves because the skis just get stuck into the, you know, that automatic uh, pattern. And so what the psychedelics do, one of the things they do is they bring fresh snow. And so those grooves are less deep and you have a chance to do things differently that maybe would not have been so accessible before. And so there's that happening. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the terrain is more level. So you have an opportunity to choose differently. Um, but also your brain communicates a lot more. And so you get funny phenomena like, you know, synesthesia, where you can smell colors or like, uh, you know, hear smells or what have mm. you. But in addition to the funny stuff, there's the fact that things that were below the line of conscious awareness are able to come up. And then you're able to really understand what's going on for you. And if you've tried to repress and look away from something, it has a chance to, to emerge. And that's, you know, where the chance for a bad trip could, mm -hmm. um, uh, could present itself. If you're trying to resist and say, no, 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 I don't want to look at that. I, that's not what I want to do. Um, or, you know, if you come into this with, with the wrong mindset, you could amplify it. But, um, but so, yeah, the psychedelics allow for, for a kind of change that um, would still be possible, you know, without the psychedelics, but maybe would take longer or um, mm -hmm. maybe would just be more difficult uh, in terms of that neuroplasticity. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe just not possible at all. It's really hard to choose a different yeah. path in the beginning when we're, when we're still in that negative headspace. Or then it just yeah. feels like that path is like we're lying to ourselves because we don't even believe it, right? It's like we're trying to yeah. toxic positivity ourselves into a new path and yeah. that actually backfires. Yeah. 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 I really, really loved what you said about, you know, rain and then what would it look like in like, if I fully embody this new pattern, what does that look like? I just think that's so incredible. And when you talked about psychedelics, kind of offering you snow it's I came back to that it, it, 
it's this idea of like, we get to choose and also we are responsible for choosing, right? So we can do the journeys, these have these mystical experiences, these profound shifts, and then we still choose, right? And we could choose to go down the same old grooves and rewire them. Yeah. Um, and also we can be compassionate about that if we do make that choice. Yeah. Um, but I, I really love this idea of like, I guess like sur- the, this play between surrender and choice and surrender and choice mm-hmm. as a means to creating a new wiring and experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you, what you're describing is kind of where the ability to, to rest in consciousness is really key mm. and where kind of the practice of meditation and so on really makes a difference. Um, especially when combined with, uh, with psychedelics in, 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 in my experience, because you're able to see your mind, your thoughts, your patterns, and your body as this phenomenon that you're observing, right? And so you can choose to really observe a different phenomenon and to, to really say, okay, if what I'm trying to produce is this other pattern, this other state, can I start from this place of the, of consciousness where I'm, I'm not bound by, you know, the self as I inhabit it um, on a daily basis? And can I tap into this kind of ocean of, uh, of compassion and presence that, that becomes available in, in these states? And that's where the spiritual path really is essential in giving us the power to to create um, to create the profound change yeah what's what's interesting to me about this is that i'm having a reaction because what you're saying i think is so real and profound and it also actually reminds me a lot of what we see in like the pop spirituality world, which I sometimes can be cynical and negative about where it's like, you need to like imagine it. And then like, this is like the, the secret. The secret is literally imagine mm, it yeah, 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 yeah. and then like feel it in your body and then like mm-hmm. see what your life would be like, you know? And I guess yeah, I'm yeah. just having a dissonant moment of like, I am with you, Federico. Like I am yeah. on board with all of this makes so much sense. And I, but for, but I guess I'm just wondering, like, is there a difference or is it yeah. really? Can, can, yes, please. Either can of I you. speak to to, yeah. to that? What, what what I'm observing you, and then, <laughs> which is the difference? I think feels like the witnessing of the patterns and the resistance and the pain and what we might call trauma beforehand. Mm-hmm. Like if you try to skip over that kind of right. shadowy part and go to bypass, to like, bypassing. Yeah, then yeah. like that's when we're just like like la la la. I'm pretending I'm on a different path but i'm on the exact same path Mm -hmm. that's what i'm hearing and what you're saying and it feels like my felt experience too yeah a hundred percent and the pop spirituality version of this is i want to manifest a ferrari and i want to manifest you know um lots of money and i want to manifest you know a tall handsome boyfriend and uh you know what have you we're manifesting for, like you know it's manifesting from the ego from a, mm. a place of like smallness and uh, um 
And, you know, I'm sure that if you keep thinking about red Ferraris, you're going to, you know, notice all the red Ferraris around you and, uh, you know, start gravitating towards the people that own the red Ferraris. And, you know, I don't know, maybe bring yourself to a state where, where maybe, you know, you're more likely to get yourself one, but that's kind of not what I'm talking about. What, what um, I think is the real kind of powerful way of rewiring is um, manifesting from, from a wider, vaster place um, that, is, that is not limited by, by this constant kind of thirst um, and aversion, like attachment and aversion, um, manifesting from, from a place that says, okay, I know that love and compassion are available. If I really step back from all my patterns and my stories and rest in awareness, I can tap into a source of, of love and compassion that is inherent within, within me. And that compassion I can bring to the parts of me that are, that are suffering. And then I can embody that and I can really create the neural pathways that, um, um, that are missing by feeling it in my body, by imagining what my life would be like, by imagining what my body would feel like. Um, and so you, you're tapping into something into that ultimate reality that that we were that we were talking about, um, and so that to me makes uh, makes all the difference. And it isn't really something that you know out there and esoteric. Um, I don't know. At least to me, if you think about it, this is how every kind of learning happens, right? We we have to try something new and practice it. And so now we're just trying something new and practicing it, but we're looking deeper and deeper for, for that thing that, um, that we want to include in what we're practicing. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I really also love what you said about creating from a place of smallness, right? Or yeah. like manifesting from a place of smallness, because I think like the Ferrari is irrelevant, right? Like yeah. I'm a business coach. The money is irrelevant, right? Like it's not, um, uh, it is, it is always intention, right? And so mm -hmm. when we are, when we are creating from a place of smallness, we give ourselves more experiences of smallness, regardless of whatever like material thing we've yeah. created, right? Because that's kind of the place from which we were creating. So, yes. right, like when we're creating a Ferrari because we won't think it'll make us feel cool yeah. and then we get the Ferrari and then we still don't feel cool yes. because the creation was born out of smallness, yes. right? Yes. And and so I think the like really gorgeousness of of the, the pattern recognition and the witnessing and the compassion, all of these things that you're speaking to is that it creates the space so that we're creating from spaciousness, yes. we're creating from, from like infinite expansive love. Yeah. And then what we create can actually nourish us. Mm -hmm. Yes. And creating from infinite expansive love um, and from a place of wholeness as well. Mm. 
yeah. realizing that we're already whole, we're already, yeah. you know, good. We're yeah. good. Mm -hmm. Deep down, that gold, you know, shines within us. And we just have to come home to it. And yeah. when we get there and we start, you know, allowing that to help us create the reality we want, um, then, you know, we're not chasing things. We're not chasing abundance. We can, you know, align our lives in ways that ultimately, you know, uh, produce the the kind of um mm -hmm. the kind of safety and uh and uh and abundance and what have you that 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 we are looking for and we end up fulfilling our needs not out of a out of a place of, of fear but out of a place of of coherence mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh so beautiful um i'm so happy that it resonates <laughs> Um, I'm actually curious then, so when did meditation come in and was this all happening sort of simultaneous? Like how does meditation, um, yeah. feed into your healing process? And obviously it had a profound effect because now you're training to be a teacher. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it all started with yoga, um, when I was, you know, dealing with, with the early kind of symptoms of, uh, of my neurological issues. And, um, I used to practice Ashtanga yoga, which is kind of a very rigorous, very tough um, kind of practice where you're really practicing in silence um, by yourself in a room full of people practicing by themselves. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of silence and there's a lot of focused attention because the postures can be so challenging. And there's a lot of letting go because if you try to force yourself through a posture, usually you don't, you don't get it. Um, you don't, you're not able to to get where um where you want and so it teaches you surrender it teaches you to focus and and so on and one day um i was lying down in in shavasana and i remember feeling this sense of of connection to the universe to everyone to animals to uh, the people in the room and and way beyond and it was a very surprising experience because I was in it just for the physical benefits at the time. And that opened my eyes to a vaster reality. And it made me curious about meditation. And so I started practicing a little bit, um, but it was always hard for me to, to practice the way uh, Everyone is taught normally sitting down and breathing because both of those those things were very triggering. <laughs> and so, you know, my breath was very uneven and it would, um, you know, trigger spasms if I, if I focused on it and sitting down was impossible. So I ended up developing, you know, ways to meditate that um, didn't involve those two things. Uh, and so I ended up including that in, in everyday activities, you know, cooking and, you know, I ended up being really fascinated by the Buddhist monks cuisine of East Asia that, you know, really embodies this, um, you know, what in Taiwan, um, I've heard people call, uh, for like mm -hmm. Buddha heart, mm -hmm. um, you know, of that 
full attention and full presence um, with uh, with what you're doing. And so I tried to cultivate that as I could, but really the months that I spent in bed, uh, you know, forced to to just be with the pain. Those were like a forced meditation retreat, if you will, because I couldn't speak, I couldn't move. Um, I couldn't even, you know, watch a movie uh, often because my eyes would, would trigger spasms. Mm. And so, you know, that ended up being um, something that, that helped me evolve in, in my ability to, to kind of to practice um, meditation. And as my health improved, I was able to move towards the more classical uh, mm-hmm. ways of, uh, of practicing. And it, it is very clear to me that this is something that the world needs more of. And uh, it is very clear to me that if there is a purpose to, you know, to why I'm here, part of it is help others kind of awaken to, to that reality of interconnectedness. And it's part of the reason why, um, you know, I'm, I'm in this beautiful course with you, mm-hmm. um, to, to be to, with you, Eva, to, to be um, in the, uh, to become a meditation teacher. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's really, yeah. Cause I, I was always wondering like kind of what the connection was and, um, and just that for me, I really do feel like meditation helps with my nervous system. Like it's, yeah. it, it, it literally, it feels like it literally rewires. Well, I guess it's rewiring my brain, but it also rewires my nervous system as in how I re, re, like less reactionary, right? Like the nervous system is yeah. something might be like, ah, like I need to, get mad or even my body might be more jumpy. Um, and so I've been able to, yeah. When people ask me like, what's one way to help nourish the nervous system. And I'm like, well, you know, obviously work within your capacity of your window of, of capacity and what's comfortable for you. But I think like meditation is a really wonderful pathway to that. Can, can I actually ask you a question on that note? If you could speak to some of these, like perhaps more non-traditional ways, like when you're talking about like meditating through cooking, because I, I had yeah. an experience. Um, mm, my daughter was, yeah, I don't remember. Some kid was young. <laughs> I had signed up for this mindfulness. It was actually not as, not nearly as extensive as a program that you guys are going through, but it was like a, a mindfulness program it was like an add-on to a yoga teacher training I don't remember the specifics but um but I thought oh this will be lovely and I it was tremendously uncomfortable for me it was really mm-hmm. triggering I it, it it led me to learn more about how like sometimes <laughs> like there's a really beautiful book I think called like trauma informed mindfulness I can't remember the exact name but it it led me yeah. to consider mm-hmm. like maybe just sitting still and being quiet is not actually helpful for me in this moment. I mean, there's another way to practice mindfulness. Um, and, and I'm curious if you could speak. And so I think that's more common than people recognize. Mm-hmm. And so they think, well, there's only one way to meditate and I'm quote unquote bad at that, or it makes mm-hmm. me feel worse. And so I don't do any of it. Right. And, or, or they're like, they're, so it's triggering, like they're triggered through the actual act of being able to of, of like, which is understandable, especially yeah. if you have trauma, right? Like if you have trauma, having to sit still with yourself is like, maybe not, maybe like the last thing that you need in that moment. And I think what's, yeah, I think you're making a really good point, Kylie. And then people are like, oh, I can't do this. So meditation isn't for me. Or like there's, or, or, or there's something 
wrong with me or some negative story is then yeah formed. yeah and and it was confusing for me because like I previously even I met because she was actually my coach in a meditation program and and so I had done like seated based meditation but it was body scans because mm. going back to this theme of like I don't really know if I want to be in this body so the body scan work was like really profoundly triggering but in a way I wasn't expecting and didn't mm. understand and ultimately mm. is helpful in the long run but I'm, I'm wondering if you could actually speak to someone who's listening. Yeah. What are some other ways, if more traditional methods haven't been accessible to them, that they might bring mindfulness in? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that are really important if you're dealing with trauma is resourcing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a step before the, the mindfulness practice and the meditation practice. And it can be, you know, it, it can have... You can take different forms for different people, but basically you want to be in a place where you feel safe and grounded enough that you can deal with something difficult if it, if it comes up. And so it might be, you know, having the support of a teacher or a psychotherapist or what have you. Um, it can also be, you know, speaking to uh, what you were describing, Eva, of, uh, of you know, your brainstem, um, you know, this part of your brain behind um, the head that, you know, just reads the world, the world in terms of neuroceptive cues, you know, is there a cue of safety or, or lack of safety? And so resourcing can take the form of, you know, in my case, sprinkling around your apartment, um, safety cues, things that remind you that you're safe and you belong and there are no threats. And so, you know, we ended up having a very difficult experience with uh, um, U.S. immigration. Um, long story, but you know we had everything that we needed, and then you Trump mean you administration. And your, you and your partner? Yeah, me and yeah. my mm-hmm. my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and then the Trump administration, you know, came up with these rules that uh, green cards had to be slashed in half, no matter what. And so they started basically issuing denials, regardless of whether you actually fulfilled the criteria or not. And so that was really traumatic for, um, for me um, because I had built, you know, kind of this safe place uh, for us in, in New York City. And so for me, resourcing uh, so that I was able to, uh, to do some of that meditating um, took the form of putting the Canadian flag, um, I live in Canada now, as a screensaver on my phone. And then a little flag on the fridge and then a little flag somewhere else saying, okay, you're, you know, now you're safe. You know, the rules matter here. Um, mm. And nobody's gonna, you know, send you letters threatening to, uh, to deport you or what have you. And, um, and so it's important not to jump into meditation when you feel like you don't have that, that grounding. And there are many techniques that, you know, that one can use to, get to that place. Um, but once you are in that, um, in that state that you feel, okay, I can allow things to come up. It, it's wise to choose the kind of anchor that isn't triggering. So if the breath is triggering because your nervous system isn't balanced and so it creates spasms for you to you know, to, to breathe one-sided. Um, 
say, or, or what have you. Then my anchor was, for example, washing rice. So I would really feel everything that was going on with, with the rice under the water, the temperature of the water, the consistency of the rice, the shape of the grains, and, uh, you know, feeling the rice on my left hand and then on my right hand and, uh, you know, the color of the water that changed. And it sounds trivial, but keeping your attention focused on anything for, for a while, um, when you're not used to it, is... Is hard. That's why meditation is hard, and it's hard no matter what the anchor is. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but any anchor I think can be can be helpful, um, and um, and kind of that's how I would um, go about it. Yeah. Mm. Can I? I'm gonna add some things as well, which I have to say are, are things that I've yeah. learned as a result of this course, um, which I'm so happy about because are, these are such important questions, Kylie. But um, yeah. I think, so this idea of resourcing is interesting because they gave some really great examples. Um, and one of them was sharing a story about this woman who had gone through sexual abuse. And so she wasn't safe in her body and wasn't safe, like being by herself. And for her anchoring was literally imagining her and her sisters, like as she was meditating, when she started to feel that freak out moment, she'd be like, Hey, wait, what are my resources here? And it's like my sisters mm -hmm. and we're all sitting in a room and we're laughing and I'm having like this happy memory. And so for you, because I know you, I think you have a plethora of like resources. I mean, you can call on your, your archetypes, Loki, you know, like who, you know, whoever your people are. And, and, you know, if you were to do a body scan, something that can help anchor you in being safe, or kind of like what Federico was saying, like even maybe a body scan may not be the place to start until you start to feel a little bit more resourced and comfortable. And then you can do the body scan within your window of tolerance. So it may not be, 10 minutes, it might be 30 seconds. And, mm. and like moving from there, like literally starting from a minute is how I started meditating. Cause I couldn't meditate for a minute. Like I would, I was so anxious. I freaked the fuck out and I would just get up and just, I couldn't do it anymore. And I didn't have a judgment or a story about myself. And that's how I built on it. I love, yeah. And for the record, I, you know, I don't know yeah. that the body scan is probably still not my most favorite, but I can, it doesn't, they're not, they're not you know, yeah. as complicated as they once were, but, um, but, uh, I love what you're saying about a window of tolerance, because I know one of the things that happened to me in that moment was that I was like, well, the assignment is a 20 minute body scan. And I lasted 30 seconds and I fucking hate this. Yeah. <laughs> and so this failure story showed up. So I, I really love, which serves nobody. Right. And so I really love this point of like, who fucking cares to like, what is the window of time in which like it's accessible to you? Mm -hmm. And I love you. Meant, I love your example about the rice. Like I felt like I was there with you and, you know, I, I'm talking about, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? Mm, if part of like my resistance was all also showing up in the body, right? Different experiences and same experiences, right? And and so what you're describing is making me like want to go wash some rice as a means of like getting into the body as someone who yeah. whose journey is to like keep trying to hop out of the body. So you mentioned you're like, oh, it seems trivial, but actually it seems so profound to your point of like the the mundane is the is the profound gateway to the essential. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. So I. I love that. And what's funny, forgetting for a moment that we had that so much of your journey is about psychedelics. I was like, I instantly came back to this moment where 
this is an earlier podcast episode, but I essentially had a drug-free mushroom trip. Um, it was the whole lovely, mystic- <laughs> yeah, whole conversation there. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, oh, wow. we'll sidebar about that another time. But but it was this beautiful, mystical experience. And as you were describing this slowdown of washing the rice, I was remembering like holding this jug, this plastic water jug, and just being like, "Holy shit, plastic!" Right, and like <laughs> really just so enamored by these teeny tiny details, yeah. um, and how much we don't have access to that in our in our busyness. So. Thank you for those examples. That feels really, yeah. those both feel really nourishing to me. So thank you. I asked, you. I asked for the audience, but you gave me exactly <laughs> what I wanted. <laughs> thank you. Thank you guys so much for, for, you know, these conversations are, are so helpful. And I know we're not the only ones who, who need this information and who need uh, to hear this stuff. So, uh, you know, one last thing that I, I think is helpful for those who are listening is pendulating. So you don't have to focus, even when you begin to, you know, to work with the things that are difficult, you can go back and forth with your focus between say the body scan and the image of, you know, mm. you with your friends on a beach, you know, whatever the, the, the idea of resourcing is for you um, and, you know, build that capacity. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, I thought that yeah. was uh, important Ooh, to, uh, to mention as well. Yeah. 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 Yeah, the so- there's feels like there's real softness there rather than the the yeah. the, the pass fail structure that we, that you know some of us Hermione's 100%. over here can apply. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just think it's interesting. It's like this really brings to light the fact that meditation is not there's lit- like literally a thousand different ways to meditate, and being with rice and being present and focusing your attention on your rice is meditation. Titrating between two different things you may not think of as, as meditation. Cause sometimes people think it's like, Oh, it means sitting for 20 minutes without thinking about anything else. But first of all, that's not possible. And also, I think there's just, there's so many avenues walking meditation, you know, like people meditate, feel like they're in a meditative state when they're, when they're running. Cause they're so focused on their breath. And it's, and I think it's helpful just to make sure that to spread the message that it's very different so that it can be more accessible to people rather than feeling like it has to be one way. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> All right. I am, I, I'm, <laughs> I do have any other questions, Kylie. I feel like I want to be mindful of like not diving into a whole nother thing that would lead to another hour of conversation. <laughs> I know I are, I just, this is like, I can't really put into words how much everything that we've said has been exactly what I needed to hear. So I'm, I'm super, super grateful. Yeah. I'm so happy and grateful as well. Um, it's it's wonderful to connect with, you know, such like-hearted, like-minded uh, people with with such, uh, yeah, w- where we connect so well. Um, it's um, it's really, you know, this is the kind of nourishment for the soul that uh, that we've been talking about. Yeah. Should we Should move we on to joy? joy? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Do you want to, do you want to ask the question, Kylie? Uh, yeah. Federico, what is something that's bringing you joy right now? Yeah. So it's the small stuff, um, like sitting down for tea, um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, having that as, as the anchor and, uh, smelling, the delicious, you know, floral, fruity notes and um, 
you know, like Thich Nhat Hanh said, um, drinking your cup of tea as if it was the axis the world uh, revolves around. Um, that, uh, that, you know, was something that I did today. And uh, it, it really brought um, an incredible amount of joy um, because I know that it is not a given. Um, you know, being able to to just be still, to just be present, uh, to to feel that safety and connection. So, um, it's the small stuff like that, small big stuff. And then, you know, I had um, two conversations with uh, with new um, clients today, uh, and you know, people who didn't have any hope that they could ever get their lives back. And uh, I don't know if we're actually going to end up working together, but you know, just seeing that glimmer of hope in their eyes, you know, means everything to me. Um, so yeah. how about you guys? What What's something that's <laughs> bringing you joy? Do you want to go, Eva? Yeah, um, I would love to because I'm, yeah, so uh, I'm in quarantine right now. I'm almost at the tail end. And uh, a lot of my quarantine has been about, I, I wanted to put together these playlists just as something that I could share with people. And as like a free thing be like, cause I love music as Kylie, you know, um, and it's allowed me to just listen to music. And I cannot tell you like literal, it's ecstatic joy. Like listening to music brings mm. me ecstatic fucking joy. And I don't, I listen to music a lot in my regular life, but this is different. This is like I'm not doing anything else. I'm not like listening to music in the background. I'm just like, oh, and like, I don't know. It's such a geeky thing, but it reminds me of being back in like the early 2000s when MP3s were a thing. And I was really dorky about like organizing all of them into categories and genres. And as a result, I just got to listen to all of this music with full presence. I can't, there are no words to describe like the spiritual experience of listening to music. I, I get like emotional things, like nothing else to me. There's very few things. It's like sex, food, music, like, you know, like music is so up there on my list of like why it feels joyous to be a human. And so I guess it's like a shout out to music, a shout out to these epic playlists I'm making for all of y'all. So if any listeners are like need new music and I'm making different playlists ones, like a solo dance party music, which is like what I've been dancing to mostly in quarantine. And then also like a list of songs that are so beautiful that they'll make you cry. And one for like a music sleep wind down. Cause I think it's important to mm. like wind down before you sleep. And, and I'm really excited. To I have share all of these. <laughs> yes. I, I would love <laughs> to share them with you. And I have thought like with kids, if people have kids, like the sleep wind down one, I think will be nice. It's just like nice for parents and kids. Cause it's, sometimes kid music can be like, you know, kid music. So, so, um, <laughs> just so excited. About we we listen to music. That's like part of our, like, just before, like, just before, like final thing before bed. And so mm -hmm. I'm always kind of like looking for new wind down songs. Yeah. So awesome. I'm excited for, yay! I'll be happy to share those. And for people who are interested, it'll probably find it on Instagram and it'll be up on my website at some point. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right, Kylie, what about you? What's bringing you joy? So uh, it's school vacation week. So I brought my kids up to Maine to see my family. Um, my parents live in like, kind of like semi-rural Maine. Um, and 
it's just really lovely. I love seeing my kids. My, my parents have two cats and a dog and like my brother and his wife live up the street. And, um, you know, I live in the suburbs of Massachusetts. And so they come to Maine and like, they went to visit my uncle and my uncle's neighbor had baby goats a week ago. And they literally got to feed baby goats with a milk bottle. Like I think my son, like they never want to leave when we come up here. It's just like so magical. And so, um, and my parents, because they live in the middle of nowhere, they have like 30 acres. So we go like traipsing up in the hills and like, you know, it's just a really, really, really magical, gorgeous place to be. And to be able to like, see my kids just like running around, being wild is really really beautiful and then today my brother came down the hill because he lives right up the street and he bought these two he and his wife had bought these two mini bikes it's just like kind of like a dirt bike and um and they were come outside and he's taking each of my kids one at a time up the hills in the backyard on this mini bike and my kids are like my daughter who's gonna be three next month like loves anything with an engine so she's like having the fucking time of her life and my son who's five is like you can hear him like all the way down the hill just how loud he's laughing and so watching it was super super fun and then my brother's like there's there two of them he's like come on kylie you ride one and i was like <laughs> okay and so i rode down the street he's like, you gotta go on the street like it's more fun uh who obviously didn't want to take the kids on the street and so i rode down the street Oh my God. It was the most fun thing I've ever done in my entire life. I was like laughing so hard. It was just like totally silly, totally joyful. Like it just, just the greatest. It was just like, I felt like my little kids, like I got why they were having so much fun. And I was really relished that just like I love that. I could Perfect. feel, I could that feel amazing. Ecstatic. Yeah. That yeah. joy of just like being on a bike, whether it's like a motorized bike or like a bike, it's like, oh my God, we like take it for granted. Like this is so free. It's like silly and joyful yeah. and fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, bl- I mean, it was a, bl- I was like, do I get a motorcycle now? Is that what happens? <laughs> this is the best. <laughs> yeah. I think this is probably why people get motorcycles. Cause they're like, holy yeah. crap. This yeah. is so fun. <laughs> So I, I could feel next that week when Kylie has a Harley Davidson. Yeah. <laughs> I could feel the exhilaration, uh, you know, as you were describing it. Yeah. Uh, yeah it makes sure. me I'm, want to hop on a bike as well. Yeah. Um, right. I'm, I'm glad that that uh, I got to share a little of that exuberance. It was a really, it was really yeah. fun. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Um, yeah, oh, I guess this is, go. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah where where can people find you if they want to follow along if they want to work with you what do you have cooking that that they that you'd want the can tune into wonderful so two websites um the first one is hope for dystonia.com so dystonia is d-y-s-t-o-n-i-a um and that's where i share you know the work that is focused really on um the nervous system and kind of rewiring the nervous system, you know, whether it's dystonia or something similar, another functional neurological disorder. And then I have another website, a newer one. Um, it's my first name, last name.com. So Federico Um, and, um, F E D E R I C O P E T R E L L I.com. And that's the home of mindfulness instruction, um, psychedelic preparation and integration, um, and 
kind of a broader version of mind-body healing where I help people kind of reflect on what their bodies um, are trying to convey, uh, kind of along the lines of, um, of what we were discussing earlier. And, um, and so, yeah, good, good things are coming, um, you know, in, on both uh, fronts. Uh, soon I'm planning on sharing more meditations, more blog posts, more, um, more materials. So um, I look forward to welcoming um, anyone among the listeners that, uh, that is interested. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to actually, so both of us have to, are working on this practicum where we're going to be facilitating meditation. So I would even say like, yeah, people, I don't, do you know what your practicum is going to be about yet? Federico? Well, um, there's going to be an intro to mindfulness, um, you know, uh, initial course. Mm -hmm. um, And then I think the second piece is going to be something centered around, you know, this, this mind body, um, connection that uh, that we were talking about so you yeah. know helping people tap into that that wisdom um cool. of the body so yeah if, if that sounds interesting to you please yeah. reach out i'm gonna um, send people on your either way, one yeah. of the websites yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm raising my hand listeners <laughs> well i think what's i would so, love to have, yeah yeah, yeah. I, and so i'm working on something completely different so it's like i think it's cool i'm working with people you know with people in with in a, in a more al-anon setting so happy yeah. to send people your way. But I think what's cool about this is like, you're, I know you're not, you're charging a very, very, very reasonable price. We both are like, this is accessible to people because yeah. it's not going to be an exorbitant amount of money. And I've got some really qualified people in this course doing shit for like really, or, or, or almost free basically. So yeah. um, I, I think if this resonates with you and Federico's resonate work resonates with you, like you're in really good hands. And same with Eva, uh, you have so much wisdom to uh, to share. And Kylie, I, I haven't known you for as long as I know Eva, but um, she has a lot of wisdom to share, a... in which she's always helping me out of my own existential shit. So <laughs> I can vouch for I her. I can I can feel it. I can feel it, and <laughs> yeah. it it was such a treat to uh, to be here with uh, both of you guys. Awesome. Thank you. Really Thanks, truly. Federico. Thank you guys so so much. <laughs>